everyone, and welcome to this episode of Balanced Self. I am pleased to welcome Executive Leadership Coach. I'm going to call you Mr. Bob because we just had a previous conversation about your former job. So we're going to call you Mr. Bob. How's that? Absolutely. No more Dr. Bob. <laughs> no more Dr. Bob. There we go. <laughs> so we're really happy to have you here with us today. And we want to welcome you also to MSB Coach. He is one of our new executive leadership coaches. And so we're very happy to have you here. I've heard so much about you. I've read so much about you. And so we're just pleased that you are here with us. I also had the pleasure of speaking with you prior to this episode. So Thank you again for, for speaking with me, and I'm happy to get to know you. And now I'm going to let you tell everyone about who you are and what you do. Well, thanks, Barbara. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm honored to be here. Uh, just a little bit about me. Uh, long-term academic, prior to being, uh, so about 25 years in the world of academia as a business management professor, uh, rose to the level of full professor, which just meant I jumped through a lot of hoops uh, and had to publish a lot. Uh, prior to that, though, I was a business owner, three-time business owner, so um, starting out in hospital supplies and then pivoted pretty quickly to an opportunity to be part of a system software startup, and um, that didn't go as well as I would like, and that would be a conversation for another day. Uh, and a really interesting story, I think, or set of stories. And then I pivoted over to the world of commercial real estate and had two firms, one with a partner, one on my own. Um, when that became dissatisfying, and this will all be part of the conversation about engagement and disengagement, um, I went around the world for about uh, seven and a half months to a little over 30 countries and tried to figure out what I wanted to do next. And, and that next gig turned out to be go to graduate school and uh, get uh, three graduate degrees, uh, two in counseling and human systems with an emphasis in career. And then I realized I didn't want a doctorate in counseling. I really wanted to be an academic and I wanted to be an academic in business. So I walked over to uh, across the campus at Florida State University where I was and enrolled in the business doctoral program and got a, got a doctorate in organizational behavior and human resources management. Got a job in that. Um, and the best job available at that time was at James Madison. Uh, it was a great place for me. And for the first 10 years or so, a great job fit. The last 10 years or so, I couldn't wait to go to something else. And so this gets to the issue of engagement. Um, so I was at James Madison for 19 years, plus I continue to teach there in their executive leadership MBA program or executive MBA program, a course called Leadership Skills Accelerator. Um, and uh, I'm, I pivoted when I found out more about coaching. And it marries my business experience, my love for learning about organizational functioning and behavior, my counseling degree in career development, and my leadership teaching uh, at the MBA level. So it really brings all those together and melds those all together. And it's a beautiful, beautiful mix. And right now, my current thinking is I want to do this until I'm about 95. And then at 95, you know, maybe I'll, I'll semi-retire. I think you can do it. I, I fully believe with everything that you just said that you have all of the energy to do this until you're 95. I, I, fully, believe that. I fully believe that. So thank you. That was an amazing intro and uh, just amazing things that you've done in your life and what you're still doing. So we thank you. And I am so looking forward to having you share with us today your insights and 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 all of your um 
all of the things that make you who you are and all of the wonderful uh, insights and experiences that you have had, especially with the topic that we're going to be talking about today. If you're ready, we can go ahead and get started. You bet. Okay. So in today's episode, as we mentioned earlier, we're going to talk about uh, attracting and retaining talent with a focus on engagement and disengagement. So what we're finding out in the new normal organizations is that the best workers are working to their full potential, but many leaders are struggling to capture the maximum value of these employees. And therefore, leaders are working harder than ever to find new and different ways to keep top performers engaged and attract new talent, which impacts employees, but it also impacts leadership. So Bob, in your experience, what contributes to an engaged workforce and what contributes to being disengaged? Well, that's an interesting question, and there's a lot that can be said about it, Uh, and a lot of recent research hints at what are the sources, and what are the outcomes, and what can be done, Uh, including some research that I did as a professor, which I might allude to a little bit later. Um, It's, you know, Gallup has done a lot of studies on engagement over the decades, and their most recent finding, 2022 study, found that just 32% of U.S. workers indicated being engaged, either somewhat engaged or very engaged or highly engaged, uh, which means that 68% are either neutral to that when answering that question or somewhat or very disengaged. And this is a huge problem because the evidence over a few decades of research on the uh, on engagement by academics throughout the world, and, and not just academics, but McKinsey and Gallup and others, show that disengaged workers are more likely to leave, basically have a negative attitude that can be contagious to other workers. And that all affects productivity and satisfaction in the workplace. So there's a lot to, to be said. For, first, maybe we should define what engagement is and what a disengaged worker is and an engaged worker. Uh, An engaged worker is one who has a positive attitude uh, towards one work, one's team, one's boss, and one's organization. Or it might be or one's organization. It might just be a positive attitude toward one of those, but that's enough for them to be engaged. Uh, And they also have a desire to behave in ways that contribute in a very productive way. So it's a twofold thing. There's this Uh, psychological aspect, the attitude, but also behavior that follows through and and makes one productive. They typically have very high levels of commitment. This gets to Patrick Lencioni's work on on the five dysfunctions of a team and then what the fixes are for those and loyalty. So very highly committed, very loyal, and as a result, tend to do their jobs better. They have more job satisfaction and are less likely to leave. So the disengaged workers, pretty much the opposite, typically very not very committed to their work, lacks interest in their in their work, is easily distracted, participates less, and produces less. Their typically negative attitude can be contagious in a negative way. So we want to minimize uh, the disengaged worker environment and maximize the engaged worker environment. And there are ways to to help a disengaged worker become more engaged. And we'll talk more about that. There are several contributors to what results in engaged, an engaged worker or a disengaged worker. But I'm going to give you two really biggies. And we'll talk just a little bit about those. 
One is the quality of relationships. So this gets to the quality of relationships with one's boss, with one's coworkers, with one's other stakeholders. So if they're like a salesperson or somebody in purchasing who's constantly dealing with the outside world as well, those relationships matter a lot too. Um, so when a worker is has a great relationship with others, it's easier for them to come to work virtually or in person. And you and I both know that, Barbara, that um, what, what can make or break how we feel about our work is the people we work with. So Gallup has a long history of studying this issue. And mm -hmm. one of the issues that I think is really interesting that they've studied is those workers who have a best friend at work, loosely defined as best friend, but a very close friend at work, tend to stay, to be happier at work, to look forward to going to work, to enjoy their work more and stay, not leave their organizations. So that becomes really interesting. I am so thankful you said that because we, no one would ever think that the people you work with actually keep you engaged. First time that I actually went to the workforce, the only reason why I stayed, the job was horrible, but I enjoyed the people that I worked with. And thank you for, for actually showing us what the difference is between being engaged and being a disengaged worker, because both kind of sometimes work together. Some of them sometimes like I could be completely engaged and not like the people that I work with, but really like the work that I do, or I could be disengaged and can't stand the job, but really love the people that I work with. To your point also is I think that everyone has a need to be heard. I'm taking this back to the responsibility of our leadership. So I think it's also essential for leaders to, to be conscious of how workers are thinking and how they're feeling so that they may speak to the needs and their expectations. And I think that that really works kind of hand in hand in making everyone feel as engaged as possible. It really comes down in, in a lot of ways when, when I look at the literature and I like to look at the evidence-based literature done by firms that conduct empirically valid research, it comes down to primarily two big issues. One is the quality of relationships. And so what we're talking about here is the relationships that workers have with any manner of stakeholders, but especially their supervisors and their teammates. The single greatest reason is if you look at survey after survey over the past 20 or 30 years, the single greatest reason why a person gives the, the reason why they leave an organization, the reason that they provide is their relationship was not good with their boss and or some coworkers. It only takes one, too, one toxic coworker or one boss that doesn't care. And so that's uh, the quality of relationships is really, really impactful. Um, and so when a person has a great relationship, for example, with a supervisor that's high trust, where the supervisor cares deeply about them, and about their work and about their them as a whole person, that matters deeply to whether a worker feels engaged. It, it's a no-brainer, but it's so hard in the world of work, especially the for-profit world of work, to really um, get the results you need at the speed that it needs to be done and also take the time to care deeply. You've probably experienced that yourself. Oh, absolutely. And also the work culture has changed a bit since before pandemic, especially switching from an in-person uh, work culture to an all virtual platform very quickly. And I know we've used um, 
a lot of interchangeable pandemic terms to describe our work cultures over the last few years. But I honestly think leaders are more aware on how engagement affects this current work culture uh, versus uh, what happened pre-pandemic. There, yes, there were resources pre-pandemic, but now the teams are different. I think the resources are different and I think leaders are paying attention and they're using these resources to keep the culture growing and to keep the culture engaged. Um, I also think that if leaders can regularly collect and analyze feedback from their teams, they can help manage and spot problems in an overall uh, employee sentiment as they occur and create an opportunity to address and redirect and reevaluate. Um, I also feel that we're finally on a uh, trending pattern of really being present and accountable in our new work environment. Uh, we now know how uh, how hybrid and remote work changes our um, our growth. It changes how we do our jobs and how we manage those teams and what to offer and how to make the work more engaging. Um, I believe that teams are using these platforms more to say, hey, I need X, Y, and Z to do my job. And I think leaders are listening and they're taking action. I really appreciated your point uh, when you were talking about Gallup and the statistics um, on engagement and disengagement. It made me think about a recent human resource uh, executive article published by Qualtrics referencing a uh, 2020 study that showed about 60% of employers did not offer any professional development or training. And this was like three years ago. So we're talking about over half of the working population, which was astonishing to me. So there's no wonder that this would lead to disengagement and not feeling invested in. Yeah, um, all of that is so interesting to me. And there's a lot that I could say about that. Uh, one thing in, is, and we may have talked about this before we started the recording about Gallup's work on best friend at work, uh, but that is so critically important to not just have a good relationship with one supervisor and one coworkers, but also to have friendships. And friendships matter deeply to how much a person feels good about going to work that day. You also brought up uh, the virtual environment that we've had to live in and pivot to when the pandemic hit. And so work uh, workforces, or I should say employers, really need to double down and better understand how impactful the virtual work environment can be on a worker's engagement. And you probably noticed that many organizations, including some of the big tech firms, are asking people or requiring people to come back to work, to be in person. And there's a reason for that if they're really paying attention. And I think, and I know that they are, and that is uh, more collaboration, more creativity, more friendships are developed when people are together than in a virtual environment. Really, really critical. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I agree with that. I think, and I think that people are still on the fence about that because we've cocooned ourselves into this new virtual workplace. And I, I mean, I, I like doing both because I really, I'm one of those people that just being around the water cooler and having conversation gives me energy during the day. I don't think that a lot of people are really fussing about that now. I, I know that before, you know, you, you read things, you see things, and the people are very upset about the fact that like, oh, no, no, I'm doing fine at home. But 
is home really healthy for us for engagement? You know what I mean? I'm fine with both, but some people are not. They don't thrive in that environment. Absolutely. Um, and something you said triggered this as well. Um, when people are face-to-face -face with decision makers and those who have power to promote and give bonuses, merit pay, those sorts of things, they there are some studies recently that indicate that those who are seen and in person with those decision makers are more likely, it's a, it's a bias, it's probably not fair, but there's a bias toward those who are with them in person at work versus those who are remote. And so um, two things, workers should know that and maybe uh, pivot to being more in person if they can, if that work provides that. And bosses need to be aware of that bias because they might they might be promoting the wrong person and mm -hmm. creating um, a negative attitude, uh, a, 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 an attitude of unfairness in those who felt that they deserved the promotion or the merit pay. Really, really interesting. I agree with you. And I think it's important that leaders listen. Um, if, you, if you're a leader and you're listening and you're seeing these troubles and you're seeing this pattern of of disengagement, or you're seeing this pattern where, okay, what can I do to make this environment more workable? What can I do to this environment to make not only professional growth, but also to make the company grow? Because these things are on leaders' minds all the time. And so we worry. I mean, I know for me, I've seen situations over the last couple of years where leaders are worried that they're not giving enough or that they're giving too much. And it's really hard. I can't imagine to, ma to manage a team that's both virtual and both in person. So these leaders are really tasked with doing a lot of research on how to best uh, provide and make these environments workable and comfortable and still grow and keep people engaged, not only for the employees, but also for the client or the customer that they serve. Yeah, and you, you, you also what you just said makes me think of some recent research that I saw that the, that was it was in the BBC. I don't remember who conducted the research, but middle managers are feeling squeezed, not only managing virtual and in-person teams together, so hybrid teams, but also they've always been squeezed by pressures from the top and demands from their direct, direct reports. And if they also look outward to, you know, if peers are pressuring them for collaborative cross-functional work, and other stakeholders external to the firm are pressuring them. It's un it's an untenable situation. So those people need to be paid attention to. Their needs to be needs to be understood and then addressed for to keep those people engaged and staying at the firm. And so this brings up the idea also of psychological safety. Google did a huge study. Uh, Charles Duhigg, who wrote The Power of Habit, uh, wrote the art wrote an article on Google's study. Um, done over about a five-year period in their quest for the perfect team. And they found that the best teams have what is, what's called high psychological safety, which in essence is the idea that uh, there was high trust, so much trust that people could share their fears, their anxieties, their uh, mistakes, their failures with no fear of repercussion. And so this is an engagement tool that every manager needs to know about. It's really critical that um, uh, that Google found two things to build psychological safety. One, 
and we talked about it already a little bit, uh, social sensitivity, this idea of empathy, caring, you said earlier, um, deeply for each other. So when, when teams, teammates care deeply for each other, that helped build psych psychological safety. And the second is one that we would never think about, but it's called roughly equal conversational turn-taking, which is this notion of that um, people might have might interrupt, but everybody's voice was heard. Everybody's voice was encouraged. All ideas were encouraged to be put out on the table. And that made everybody feel tighter. A stronger bond occurred. And another way for bond is, and a stronger engagement. Thank you for that, because I, now I'm going to go and I'm going to look this up. I really do thank you for those points. That those These were spot on. And I actually was going to ask a second question, but I think you've already answered it, <laughs> where we are asking, why does this matter to talent recruitment and retention? And I think we've answered that, but if you have some more points, please do. Please share. So let me... Um also say one more thing. So I mentioned at the beginning, there were two really big issues as it relates to engaged versus a disengaged worker. The second, and I'll be very brief, is fit. Fit with one's work. How well is, is the work interesting that you've been given? Is the job interesting? Do you value the work? Is there meaning in the work? Does it fulfill some purpose? Is there alignment between the organization's values and yours? Um, all of that is part of fit, and it needs to be really, really addressed. And the only way to really address it is to ask workers how it's going periodically. What do they like? What don't they like? What's the best part of your work? What's the most challenging part of your work? And so on. Um, we all want great relationships, yes, but we also want great fitting jobs, and projects that are interesting and challenging to us that that stretch us a little bit. And you talked about professional development earlier, really critical that we all, uh, that is attended to as well, because most people want to grow, want to build uh, their competencies. And when we become more confident, competent, we become more confident and are, we're more satisfied in our work. Thank you for wrapping that up. So my last question is going to be, what are you learning, have learned, or currently practicing about keeping balance in your life? Ooh, balance. Well, I made a major shift. Uh, about three years ago, I decided to retire from academia. It, as I mentioned earlier, it was no longer the good fitting job. I liked my coworkers, but I didn't like the work. So you talk about the, the two things that uh, can keep a person engaged. And there, there are others, but great relationships. I had those, but fit with one's work, no longer fit what I really wanted to do. So without both, I was unhappy. And so I needed to move on. And when I moved on, um, it was a process to find what I've found now. And I love what I do. And that is coaching, uh, group and individual coaching, group facilitations, and workshops, creating and facilitating workshops. All of those I love, can't get enough. I also like to write. So I'm, I'm continuing to write blogs and, and, an, uh, and an article. I may write a book someday. But so work was balanced. Work was too paramount for me. Work dominated, and I should say, work that didn't fit me very well dominated me. And so I lost my sense of balance. I didn't spend enough time with with uh, self-care, with my family. And so as I pivoted, I also had to take time and decide what's an ideal day, what's an ideal week, and so on. And so I start every day with devotions, stretching, exercise, 
and some good food, some healthy food and uh, some form of coffee. And that sets me up for um, the my kind of mental clarity that I can do uh, good work. The second thing I've done is limit my work at night and on weekends. Years ago, I decided I needed to take a full day off. So I took Sunday as my Sabbath and I don't work Sundays. And I've rarely breached that rule for myself. I don't work Sundays. And so when Saturday, even if I've worked a little bit on Saturday, I know that the next day, Sunday, it's going to be a reprieve. It's going to be a, apart from the high cognitive work that needs to be done. And it's wonderful. It's a peaceful feeling. And I'm so happy that I've made those decisions. Now, that said, truly keeping balance in, in my life is a work in progress. <laughs> I've had some successes and some stumbles each week, but hey, the trend line's good, Barbara. I am very proud that you said that. And I hope that when our listeners hear this podcast, they will take a page from your book and do exactly what you're doing. I'm very happy that you said that. And I will probably listen and take a little bit of advice myself. So I want to thank you so much again for coming in and sharing your insights and your experience. This is really good stuff. I I hope that you will come back and join us for future episodes. So thank you again. I, we're really excited and I'm really excited. I can't wait for our listeners to hear this and hopefully you're going to be continuing to practice your balance and your self-worth and all the things that you get to do. So thank you again. I really appreciate that. So next month, we're going to discuss attracting and retaining talent with a focus on learning and development. So until next time, thank you again. for spending time with us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Balanced Self. If you are looking for ways to explore your own unique leadership presence, check out our workshop on living into authentic leadership presence at www.msbcoach.com. If you would like to hear this and previous episodes, you can go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or you can go to our website at www.msbcoach.com under the resource tab. Bye now.